John 15, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 16. And our catechism lesson is found on page 871 in the red hymnal as we consider questions 29 and 30 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. We'll read the answers of those together after we read God's word. We'll read through verse 17 in John 15 here. John 15, this is God's holy word. Please give your attention to its reading. Jesus speaks to his disciples on the night of the Last Supper. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command and no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Let's say the answers of questions 29 and 30, page 871, back of the red hymnal. Question 29. How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? We are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by his Holy Spirit. How doth the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? 
The Spirit applieth to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. The central principle we'll be considering when we think of being united to Christ tonight is this. Adam's sin cannot hurt you unless you are in him. And Christ's salvation cannot benefit you unless you are in Christ. The contribution of really the Reformation and what, what happened afterwards in developing Reformed doctrine was to really delineate how to think about redemption accomplished in Christ and then applied by the Holy Spirit. That's something you'll hear theologians say from time to time, redemption accomplished and redemption applied. Christ does what he does in an objective sense. His work on the cross, his resurrection, his righteous life lived, all are accomplished in an objective, once-for-all manner. But that salvation and the benefits of that salvation are applied subjectively to individuals in space and in time. And certainly an imperfect illustration, and you could probably poke a few holes in this, but, but an imperfect illustration that gets us to the way of understanding this are these... Um, never-ending stimulus bills that Congress keeps passing. Congress will pass a bill, and uh, the president will sign it into law, uh, but I can only go and withdraw that money after a large number just sort of appears on uh, the computer screen when I check my bank account. And it should be somewhat troubling to all of us. No one asks me if I want this money. Just something gets uh, directly deposited into my bank account, but I digress. If I want to buy a new car uh, with this money, not on credit, but on cash, which last I heard of this most recent one, you'll be able to buy a car if you've got a few kids in the house with uh, the the kind of money they're talking about with this most recent one. If you want to buy it on cash, I'll have to wait until it gets applied to my account, until I receive it. It's already been accomplished as an objective benefit, we'll put scare quotes around that word benefit, Uh, it's already been accomplished in Congress, uh, and then it gets subjectively applied. Thinking about this in terms of Christ and his salvation, the question becomes for us, how does our spiritual account begin to receive the benefits of what Christ has already accomplished? It's already, it's in history Jesus has lived his life. He's died on the cross once. He doesn't need to go to the cross again. The price that he paid was perfect. He has been raised. How does that get applied to our spiritual account? The Westminster Catechism shows in this next section that deals with the application of all of these benefits, what can happen and, and develop in about 100 years. If we return to our own Heidelberg Catechism, we see all of these themes, right? All the, the, the doctrine is the same. But the Westminster Standards uh, expand on them and shows what happens in about the hundred years between our own Heidelberg Catechism and this Westminster 
shorter catechism. The great reformed minds had written on these things. They had developed these things over the roughly 100 years or so between the two. We look at our own catechism, it says this, Are all men then saved by Christ as they perished through Adam? The answer is no. Only those who by true faith are engrafted into him and who receive all of his benefits. And so we're thinking about and what we see in the Westminster Catechism is really unfolding all of those benefits. Tonight, we are thinking mainly of three things. God's election, what we call effectual calling or regeneration, and union with Christ. And we'll apply all of those things really to a practical side of Christian living. So first, election. It's not our purpose to dig too deeply into the doctrine of election, but there are some uh, necessary comments that we can make about it. The basic truth to highlight for our purposes tonight is that it is, it is fundamentally God's choosing. It is fundamentally God's choice, his sovereign grace that is the dividing line between those who will ultimately share in Adam's sin and who will share in Christ's salvation and victory. As in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. But Paul does not mean there that every single solitary human experiences the benefits of Christ just as they experience the sin of Adam, but rather all those whom the Lord will call to himself. What unfolds in history, what happens in space and time is always rooted in the eternal decree of God. The Westminster Confession says this, By the decree of God, for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined unto everlasting life, and others foreordained to everlasting death. These angels and men, thus predestined and foreordained, are particularly and unchangeably designed, and their number so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. In our text tonight, Jesus speaks of this glorious truth of election. He says it to his inner band of disciples who will become the apostles, but we can certainly apply it to the rest of those who will come to believe in him. And we have the the doctrine of election, which is found all throughout Scripture, that those who believe in Christ have been chosen from eternity past to do so. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You, These ones whom Christ has chosen are those who will go from being in Adam to in Christ. There will be some who carry the appearance of being united to Christ for a time, like Judas Iscariot, but they will prove themselves to be no true disciples. This does not mean that God's plan or design or purposes have changed. These are merely the means that God uses to accomplish his purposes. John 15, 2. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. John 15, 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. We can draw perhaps two main conclusions as we briefly consider God's election and the branches that perhaps seem to be united to Christ 
for a time, but are cut off because they bear no fruit. The first is that God's election is given to us. This is a truth, a doctrine given to us as a source of comfort. When we feel the weight of our own inadequacy, when we know uh, for certain that we cannot keep ourselves in the light of life, when we are assailed by doubts, The humble and the repentant are to remind themselves that salvation is the work of God alone. He is the one who saves us. He is the one who keeps us. He is the one who has chosen his people before time was. At the same time, we are warned not to make election a license to sin or a means to create false assurances. We cannot say, well, I can live however I want because I'm chosen. That is the exact kind of pride that God will condemn to hell forever. We also learn not to presume upon our election. But as Jesus gives us the teaching about bearing fruit, so we seek God's blessing that he gives so that we might be those who bear fruit and continue to bear fruit all our days. When we're commanded to seek these things, we must obey God and not presume upon uh, election. Second, effectual calling, another doctrine that we will briefly consider. We come now to the moments in the time and space when human beings are made partakers of Christ. They are given spiritual life. It must be said here that we are talking about invisible things. You don't see when someone is regenerated. You don't see when the Spirit of God brings them to spiritual life. These aren't perceptible to us. There may be Christians who have certain kinds of experiences that suggest they know precisely when they were granted faith in Christ and their lives changed instantly. But there are many who cannot exactly perceive when this happened. Most of the time it is those who grow up in the church, who are and have their faith sort of grown and cultivated in them, growing up in a Christian family, and they may not really remember not trusting in Christ as their Savior. For covenant children, it's important to remember that even though we cannot clearly perceive these things, it becomes our duty still to earnestly seek them. We are to seek to know Christ and to love him and to trust in him, and to bear fruit. Parents are to call children to do all of these things, and children are to seek them as well. But all of it starts in a person's life with what is called effectual calling. This doctrine is revealed in the name. It is a calling, and it is effectual, or it works. So it's a summoning A summoning by God that works perfectly. Parents always have to work uh, in raising their kids on some balance of discipline, firmness, grace, and patience when we have little ones. Because we call and they don't always come. we, We call and they don't always come. I remember my mother. She said this sometimes to me, sometimes to the dog. Come when I call you. Come when I call you. Our kids don't always come. They need to be taught, guided, 
and trained to come at the call of their parents. When God calls a man through the gospel in effectual calling, it is not something that sometimes works. There is a general call. The the gospel is to go out to all the world. God commands all men everywhere to repent. So the gospel is preached. And that's general calling. But effectual calling is when God creates life. It always works. And all of those whom God has chosen will be raised to this spiritual life through a sovereign work of God. Back to the Westminster Confession, it says this. All those whom God has predestined unto life, and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time, effectually to call by his word and spirit out of the state of sin and death in which they are by nature into grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, that was an effectual calling. And many have said that it's a good thing that Jesus said, Lazarus come forth, as opposed to just saying, come forth, because otherwise, all of those who were in their tombs within an earshot could have been raised to life. He says, Lazarus come forth, those words go out, and they create an actual physical, bodily life in Lazarus. We'll look more closely at this in coming weeks, Lord willing, but ordinarily, this life that's created in the heart of a person is that which happens through the proclamation of the gospel and through the preaching of the word of God. The result is saving faith. In Lazarus, uh, his body was raised to life, started breathing again. In effectual calling, we are given true faith in Christ. And faith is spiritual life. True faith is the equivalent of spiritual life. We call this regeneration. It's a change from death to life through the work of God's Spirit as he works through the gospel. The main use for us to take from this doctrine is to remind ourselves that in the church, it is the gospel which is the power of God. Romans 1, 15 and 16. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 10, 14, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We are to remind ourselves that this effectual calling is the work of God alone. We can't convince someone into spiritual life. There is no magic formula. There there, there is no magical combination of words that that makes people uh, recognize all of these things. And intellectual conversion is not true conversion. There there is not just a, a recognition that Christ is real and that the things in the Bible are true. There needs to be a trust in Christ, a personal trust in him and his glory and his goodness as the Savior. So the church's duty is to proclaim the gospel. That is our primary duty. 
and to make disciples through opening up the whole counsel of God and to administer the sacraments and to exercise church discipline. Why? Because God is the author of salvation and he has said in and through these things, this is where spiritual life will be granted and given. That's effectual calling. Next is union with Christ. Union with Christ. We are told that we are united to Christ when this effectual calling takes place, when God raises us to life. Union with Christ is as glorious as it is mysterious. It's not so much one act of God in our salvation, but rather a blessing which brings all the other blessings of Christ, or at least many of the other blessings of Christ. When God calls us to himself, he works faith in us. He gives us true faith in Christ. And by that we are united to Christ, the true vine, and thereby we are granted all the remaining blessings of salvation. One uh, parallel that might help us understand this is the way that you think about citizenship. Historically, it is uh, citizens of a country who are granted various privileges that that accompanies that status of being a citizen. There is the initial act of passing the examinations, and you take an oath of citizenship and an oath of allegiance, but once you go through those initial rites, you are and remain a citizen, and various benefits and advantages come to you from that, along with duties and responsibilities. Along with the blessings of salvation, which are being justified, being forgiven of our sin, being adopted into the family of God, being given the Spirit, the promise of being glorified, Jesus also assures us that we have the privilege of considering ourselves children of God and being children of God. And therefore, we can come to God the Father as a loving Father who loves to provide for His children. John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Jesus puts this so beautifully because it's a promise of Christ for those who are abiding in him, for those who are living in him. So you have these, this prerequisite of those who know Christ and are abiding in him who ask these things. If Jesus' words remain in us, What are the kinds of things we will ask our Father for? A new car? A big house? Worldly status? No. If we're abiding in Christ and Christ's words are abiding in us, then we will ask for the earthly provisions that allow us to serve God better and also that which will not allow us to fall into temptation. You will ask for the spiritual blessings that bring you into greater fellowship and communion with God. People who are living in the light of Christ to that extent, and Christ's words are dwelling in them, and who ask their Heavenly Father for something sincerely and genuinely from a pure heart, not for false gain, not to spend it on passions or pleasures, won't it be the Father's great joy to bestow such blessings upon His people? Jesus says in Luke 11, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Thus, union with Christ is a controlling doctrine for all of our lives. Being united to Christ, as we saw from Isaiah 5 to John 15, that you could search the world over in all of human history, and where do you find righteousness? Where do you find that which yields the fruit of righteousness? It's only in one figure. It's in Jesus Christ. Thus, united to him in these ways is the way in which we can bear the fruit that God desires we bear. So, the rest of our time tonight, just as we close, a couple of uh, principles to abide in the vine and bear fruit. The first idea is this. Only in Christ can we do anything of true spiritual worth. Only in Christ can we do anything of true spiritual worth. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This proclamation by Jesus ought to create in us humility and hunger. It ought to make us humble and hungry. It ought to make us humble because we are constantly, every day, reminded that if we try to live the Christian life on our own, if we try to do it by ourselves, we will produce exactly nothing of spiritual value. But if we are connected to the vine, if we are abiding in him by faith and trusting in his power, it is from Christ that life flows, the life which is needed to bear fruit. You study that equation and you say, well, when I try to do things myself, I produce nothing. It's when I abide in Christ that I produce something of worth. So the only initial response is to have humility. We can do all that we want, if we're doing it on our own, it's no good. Thomas Watson says that a Christian with humility is beautiful like a violet, which is a, a beautiful flower, but the, the, the petals, the head there, tends to hang down. It tends to be pointed back down towards the ground. That is the, the beauty of a Christian with humility. If you are humble and you are seeking to exalt Christ, you have that attractiveness, that beauty that comes with true humility. That is the mystery of humility. The more we humble ourselves, the more God looks upon us with kindness and honors us and promises to exalt us. Next, this teaching of Christ, we can do nothing unless we're abiding in the vine, ought to make us hungry. It ought to make us hungry for the reality of Christ, the truth of Christ, the words of Christ, because we see that we don't produce this life and what we need, we don't produce it in ourselves. We don't do some kind of spiritual photosynthesis where uh, we are humans in terms of our actual food. Right? We have to go and find food or make it, put it on the table in order to nourish our bodies, particularly when we are hungry. And that is the same for ourselves spiritually. We are fed from a source outside of ourselves. And that, of course, is Jesus, the bread of life, the food for our souls. Next is this. Though we cannot unite ourselves to Christ, we are called to abide in him. Notice 
How many times in John 15, Jesus says this, abide in me, abide in the vine. We cannot make these spiritual realities come to be. We cannot make ourselves united to Christ. And yet, we have these commands to abide in Christ, almost as if we are to continue to bring this reality about, almost as if it is up to us to make sure that we do not lose this union with Christ. Now, that cannot be. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out, and I will raise him up at the last day, right? It's, it's sovereign grace from, from beginning to end, and God is the one who preserves us. So what is happening here is that these types of commands God gives to us, and then he works through these commands in order to create this kind of life inside of us, in order to create this kind of obedience inside of us. Isaiah 55, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It's through this command then, abide in Christ, that God creates in our hearts the desire to abide in Christ. God creates in our hearts the ability to abide in Christ. So this once again throws us back upon our God who is all-powerful. It throws us back upon the Christ who shares his life with us as a branch connected to the vine. And then finally, tonight, as we see in Jesus' words, bear the fruit of love. Bear the fruit of love. We need to love Christ. We need to love one another. We need to do it from a pure heart. And we need to understand what love is. We live in a world that's very confused about love, Love can be mistaken as permissiveness, uh, passivity, allowing people to do whatever they want to do and saying that we are okay with that. Love, essentially, is wanting for others what God wants from them. Leading each other to righteousness, to know and to understand that the best blessing we can have is communion and fellowship with God, the best thing that we can do with our lives is to serve God and so to desire that for others and to be an instrument in the lives of others so that they might serve God according to his word and according to truth and according to righteousness. We need to, in many ways, have our minds rewired as to what love is. Jesus says this in so many different places here in John 15. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Thomas Watson says, the best way to discern grace in oneself is to love grace in another. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. What is religion, he says, but a knitting together of hearts. Faith knits us to God and love knits us to one another. 
Those who shall one day live together shall love together. We are appointed to spend eternity together as the family of God. So our time on earth is sort of our getting used to each other because we'll be seeing each other a lot. Uh, Thomas Brooks says this, For a dog to scare a lamb is natural, but for a lamb to scare a lamb is unnatural. What he means there is when God's people are vicious with one another or towards one another, there's something that is so unnatural about that because we're both call, we're called to be sheep right, who uh, would not be, there's not a, a sheep that will go and tend to scare all of the other ones. So we must love in a way that is sincere, not just in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We must want for others what God wants from them. We must love in a way that is spiritual. We love that in each other which God creates by His grace. We take joy in seeing others grow in their devotion to Christ. That's what we love to see the most in each other. We love We must love in a way that is extensive. We must love all of God's people because we see his workmanship and his love in them. If God loves someone and calls him or her to himself, then we ought to love that person. For God's love has been set upon them. And we love what God loves. We must love in a way that delights in being together. We must Love in a way that is constant. Let brotherly love continue, Hebrews 13 says. So bear the fruit of love because you are abiding in the vine. The vine who shows us that God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Not a a love defined by the world, but defined by the gutsy, life-changing, righteous love that flows from the character of and being of God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth and for these words. Thank you that we have been granted the blessing of faith through your sovereign grace and that this faith allows us to go forth and bear the fruit of love that we have been called to bear. Uh, Thank you for Christ and the gift that he is to us. We pray all this in his name. Amen. And we end by singing 468. My faith has found a resting place. Let's sing uh, 1, 3, and 4. 1, 3, and 4. And stand together and sing.